Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Something for the Turbo. Thank you very much for tuning in to listen. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the podcast and make sure you're telling all your cycling friends. And if you're new to the podcast, make sure you go back and check out some of our previous episodes. We've been incredibly fortunate to be joined by some amazing guests from around the world of cycling. Lots of great content in there. So have a listen and spread the word. And if you haven't yet downloaded the Unfound app, please do. You can find it in the App Store or on Google Play. All you need to do is download the app, register for free and join a global community of cyclists sharing rides, photos, stories and much, much more. We look forward to seeing you on the hub. Anyway, today I'm joined by not one, but two brilliant guests who educate me in the world of vintage and artisan bikes. Bob Johnson and Chris Nethercliffe set up Cheekly Artigianali Cycling Club here in London. They're a collection of avid vintage bike collectors, enthusiasts and cyclists. And Bob and Chris basically give us an insight into how they started collecting bikes, the amazing craftsmanship, the growing global movement, some of the incredible events that you can do around the world now riding these wonderful bikes how you can start collecting their london cycling club and the growth that it has seen and much much more it's an incredible insight into the world of artisan and vintage bikes i want to go and buy one now but without further ado let me bring you bob and chris and they can talk you through it in a lot more depth enjoy the conversation bob chris thank you so much for taking the time to to join us today how are you both you surviving no problem all good here yeah very well thank you Excellent, excellent. Look, we've got loads to cover today, and uh, I'm I'm really lin- interested to hear what what you guys have to tell us all. But why why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit about how you both got into cycling, and then and then how the love affair with artisan and steel and and handcrafted bikes came about. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start. This is Bob. Um, I probably I used to build bikes for school friends when I was about fifteen. I used to get I used to get old sit up and big bikes and take everything off it, put motorcycle bars on it and we used to have grass track races all around the fields where I used to live and that was when I was 13, 14, 15 years of age I suppose and that's and from that I would also build you know fixed wheel race bikes and just get into the you know cycling as you did you had to cycle to go to school so I would I would take bikes apart and put them back together again and that's that's what I always did but by the time I left school at fifteen, I probably, you know, I left school, moved, moved up really, and was, you know, bought a Lambretta scooter when I was, you know, by sixteen. So I kind of left riding, apart from reading about the Grand Tours and stuff in the papers. But I didn't actually go back to cycling until, I mean, I was nearly forty when my my business partner bought Hetchin Cycles, which was a probably the, you know, the last high end bespoke road cycling brand in the UK and that was in the late 80s which was no time to actually buy a that kind of that kind of outfit because it was the start of the mountain bike explosion so everybody was riding you know Gary Fisher Marins Orange you know Koners and getting muddy at the weekends but I carried on just riding, riding the, the Hetchins, but you know my Hetchins bike at that time, and all the people that were getting into mountain bikes were selling their old bikes. So I ended up collecting through the eighties race bikes, steel race bikes, and I couldn't, I didn't really move away from it. It was, you know, it was something that I I'd always 
felt that that was the proper way of you know building a you know building a bike and how they're handmade and that I felt that was that was good. I got, I was kind of turned off a bit by the mountain bikes. I didn't do it, and I was also by the modern you know early nineties Cannondales and Principias and big aluminium tubed bikes that really didn't look great and. I didn't find they were very nice to ride, so I kind of kept on with with riding my old my old steel bikes, and that carried on, you know, even all through the two thousands, where obviously everybody was on a a Trek carbon or a Giant, but these were I always felt they were kind of characterless, mass produced machines out of Taiwan. So I never really fell in love with any of the new stuff, you know. It just it didn't it didn't really rock my boat really at all so that's bizarre so it's almost through mountain biking that you, you started collecting steel bikes yeah I suppose it, was, it was the end of the mid 80s is, is when we sort of saw the move towards aluminium was it yeah well that's when all the mountain bikes started so it, it, it was everybody that you knew was getting into mountain bike and there was a bike boom but nobody was buying old race bikes so you could pick them up for next to nothing so I'd end up you know, there was there was a magazine called Loot, if you remember, that used to be like a free ad magazine and cycling weekly. You could you could pick up these old bikes for you know a hundred quid, no no money, because everybody was dumping them, so that they could get a an aluminium Gary Fisher to go get muddy in the woods with. And I I never kind of got into it. I just carried on. And I I just found out that I ended up with just a huge collection of old bikes, old race bikes that I would just carry on riding all through this all through this period really that's what brilliant happened. brilliant and you mentioned it's a huge collection just how big is the collection it, it, well in the 80s it ended up being about 100 bikes i suppose by the time we you know by the, by the mid 90s it had been 100 bikes it was the whole of the bottom of my office which was like i used to have a, a muse my office was a muse cottage in london like a muse house and the underneath which was the old hackney cab garages well, that was just full of bikes for donkey's years, you know. It was I just I just, I just had I'd loads on. But at the moment it's I'm probably only got twenty five, so it's it's gone it's gone just to twenty five, Bob. Well, I don't know how you cope. <laughs> yeah, it's a and, and how about you, Chris? How, how did you get into it? Uh, it was just a little bit different to Bob. I sort of there's a, a few years between he and I, but usual sort of thing, I guess. You know, as a kid, you were cycling around and just uh, doing what you do as a kid, but uh, you then move on to motorbikes and cars. But Bob and I were drinking in the same pub. And um, obviously I knew he was riding bikes and I saw some of the stuff that he was riding. And it sort of brought back memories of, uh, as Bob was saying, you, you saw people on the grand tours and things like that. And it's like, I remember those bikes. And that's what really got me back into it, certainly on this side, was, okay. um, you know, talking to Bob, seeing some of what he'd got. Uh, and then going out and riding with him and, you know, started building my bikes again and, and just building the collection back up, really. But it was more from what he'd got and that reminded me of what I was as a kid, you know, and seeing all those guys, you know, on the Grand Tours watching uh, Bernardino and all that lot riding around on these steel bikes uh, in the Tour de France or, or the Vuelta or whatever. And, you know, whilst not £100 a time like they were when Bob was uh, – originally started they were still relatively uh, inexpensive when when uh, i started getting back into it probably 10 years or so again now but it's just gone from there and, and that that's really where bob and i sort of connected and and really started getting back into it uh, as a 
when we started the club up, really. Excellent. And we'll come on to the club in due course. But I totally get that sort of the connection with nostalgia in terms of just how iconic some of these these bikes look i think that you know i i don't know too much around the sort of artisan and vintage bike movement and world and it is a total movement and we'll come into the club and some of the events that you do in due course but for some for someone like myself and other listeners that you know will see a, a beautiful old steel bike and and it has that sort of nostalgic attachment to it but given as we got into the sort of 90s and and the um aluminium bike and then we moved into carbon and, and the, the sort of dna of bikes really changed to tell everyone listening that what makes sort of original handcrafted steel bikes so special not only the frames as well but i'm fascinated about the the group sets because they were they were real works of art weren't they yeah they they were the, obviously it all starts with the frames and a, and a, a steel lugged frame is handmade brazed by a person and it's his you know, it's his thing from start to finish. They, you know, there isn't any, you know, division of labor in these things. You just, you know, one guy would actually braze all the frames. He'd have a lad cutting the lugs, but it, it was, it's made by hand. It, it's, it's made by a person. There's no TIG welding like there is on aluminium bikes or, or mass produced tie bikes. And, and a lot of modern carbon bikes, they're monocoque. They're, you know, they're made in a, in a mold and stuck together in the middle and they're not personal. And all yeah. handmade, still artisan built bikes are, per, are, they're personal. And that's, that's what it is. And they, and they're, the person who's made it has put his, you know, put his life into it. That's what there are. And, and it's kind of all over for a lot of the old builders that luckily nowadays there's a few you know younger guys starting up and you know there are handmade bikes a friend of ours has got a um puts out a bike called an explosive which is uh explorator sorry which um he he makes and they're still made bikes there's there's a few artisan builders starting up but it's it's, yeah. been, it's been a bit of a gap for a few yeah. years and nothing happened. Yeah. Absolutely. An absolute gap. But I was actually going to want to ask you both about um, that because absolutely, I think there's a, a bit of a movement about, again, to go back to sort of traditional ways of making steel frames, isn't there? As as traditionalists and, and avid collectors, uh, how do you feel about that? Is it, Are you excited to see that or what, what are your general feelings about that? I think it's quite good. And, and you know, it's it's a bit like, anything which people sort of say keeping the trades you know whether it's thatching a house or or, you know woodworking of some description you know frame building is a trade is a skill an art that hopefully won't ever die whether it will be mass production in the way that we had multiple different frame builders back in the 50s 60s and 70s I, i doubt it but there's always going to be a market for people who want something that is purpose-built, custom, specific to them. And, and these guys are going to fill that gap. You know, there's, there's big shows that do it. You know, there's one every year in Bristol, although not this year, but there, there has been on, you know, these, these sort of um, new guys coming in and building bikes, handmade. You can go on courses to get, you know, to learn how to do it. So I think it's great that uh, this trade and, and skill is not dying and that people are keeping yeah. it alive. 
Yeah, keeping it alive, absolutely. And I think we'll we'll put your your club website into the show notes, and and anyone listening, do check it out. But before we sort of come on to the club, one of the things I noticed on there is that that you have a list of of all the frame builders that, that you have collections of, of bikes from, and of course there there are the the, the big name brands that, that I'm sure everyone listening will know, but there are so many. Uh, sort of small frame builders that I have never ever heard of. Talk us through just about how many there were, and 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 give us an idea of who you know were there some some more famous ones during certain eras, or how did that work? Give us a bit of a sort of historical overview in terms of the the, the bigger names or some of these frame builders. Well, I think in the in the golden age, I suppose, which was before the you know everybody had a car. So you're thinking 30s to the 50s. I would imagine there was maybe. 2,000 frame builders in the UK that you know, the periods. Yeah, yeah, there would be, if well, I was growing up in Peckham, there was, blimey, I know there was two in Sydenham, there was two in Forest Hill, there was one in Peckham. I would say there was a, over 100 in, in London. There, there, there must have been. There was every, wow. every and, and that kind of dried up. A lot of them were one-man bands and they were, you know, they were, Quite famous names that you know, like Rotrax or F Grave or you know Hetchins, all these kind of things. Bates, these were quite well-known makers who made race bikes for amateur teams and stuff. The 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 demise here came also because it's it, it's a, it's quite a British thing here that the the cost of business rates and to run a business here. It is is difficult if you go to you know when you look on our website and you see there were a massive Italian frame builders. Yeah. That's because if you're an artisan, if you actually build something in Italy, you get a break on your on your business rates. For instance, there's a you know just a, as a for instance, Tomasini had been making bikes for about sixty seventy years. They got a big they got a factory and they've been successful. They get a break all the time. But there were little tiny builders like, say, Patelli or Marzi. And I, I was speaking to the guys who still run Patelli, which has started in the 50s. Their business rates per year is 250 euros a year. Wow. And they can keep going. And they, they're, they're, they're treated as an artisan entity, which is, which is something to do with you know, the, you know, what, how Italy feels about itself, about its artists, about its tradesmen, about it, about how it makes things. Unfortunately, here we don't have that. That we don't. We, we're not given that those kind of breaks. You know, a business is a business. It's it works or it fails. And a lot of those little businesses failed because they, they, you know there isn't enough people to to buy the bikes, and there isn't you know it costs a lot of money to carry on. But in that's why when you look on the website, you'll see all these different these different builders. You know, they're still there. The guy. Marzi, Alberto Marzi, works under the Velodrome in Milan. That shop has been there since the late 40s. His father father made bikes for every, you know, for everybody. He he made Jacques Oncatil's one-hour race bike overnight because Oncatil tried to do it one day at the Velodrome and he didn't get on with his bike. Falerio made him a bike overnight. The paint was still wet when he rode it the next day. It didn't have Marzi written on it. I think it had Hellier written on it. Whoever he's, whoever he was, you know, whoever was was his race brand, you know. But those guys are still there. Filario's son Alberto is still there, still making bikes, 
and you can still you can still order a bike from him. That is amazing. I didn't realise that. I always wondered what the Italian connection was. Obviously, that's a fascinating insight. And obviously, there has been a long history, although not that that sort of easy for the for the British brands as well. But a lot of very established names throughout history in the UK. What other countries have got some good brands historically that? we may not know about or might not be so commonly known. France have masses of, of bikes. You know, they, you know, they brought the first, you know, they, inv- they invented the first bicycle, the French. So the 150 years ago, the first kind of bone shaker was brought in from France, the first velocipede, you know, and that was ridden by a guy who rode it just up through Regent's Park in 150 years ago. He, he brought the first one into the country, and as is still the same today, he was stopped by the park police for being a danger, which is still going on today. If you remember at the beginning of the COVID outbreak, all the cyclists in Regent's Park were demonised for riding around. So nothing's much changed in 150 years. It was the, you know, the same park and the same reaction. Yeah. yeah. But the French, yeah. the French have been building bikes like that. There are small small brand in, brands in France still going that have been going for it. You know, Alex Singer, Alex Sanger bikes in Paris have been there for 80, 90 years. There's still a little shop, still makes bikes. Excellent. And in terms of group set, can be the, the only way forward in terms of historical bikes? Or what are your views on other group sets and mm-hmm. talk us through about the history of some other brands we might not have heard of? Here, here comes the argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah this well initially you know early on before campag was obviously you know simplex cyclo loads of british loads of british brands making stermy archer were making gears there was everybody was trying to make it in in europe there was hure were making stuff masses of different people it it, it, it was campag's campag nolo's invention of the quick release is, is what brought campag into the into the fold really he he invented a quick release yeah. on on a on a wheel you could change a wheel but with this quick release before then you had to have wing nuts and if you're and you had no gears so by night you know i don't think the tour de france allowed gears until 1933 i think everything before then was single speed so if you wanted to go up a hill you turn the wheel around and put the bigger yeah. on and you went up a hill and if you went down the other side you turned it round again but i think uh, Campagnolo was it was racing, and he, you know, he was too cold to actually undo his wing nuts. So he he failed. The race failed to him, and he went home and invented the quick release so that he could quickly take his wheel out and swap it round. And I think that was the beginning of Campag and all of his, you know, all of his inventions really. And that carried on all the way through to the eighties with the you know with the advent of the of Suntour and, and Shimano, who. Yeah, and and in terms of Shimano, in terms of how, how do you, I mean, how do you see modern group sets and how they've evolved into sort of electronic, and how does that sit with you both? Well, it works. You know, people, you know, it, it, it seems to work. I, you know, I, I haven't got any of it. I have, I have a followed a friend of mine who had the first Di two stuff, and I watched it change gear on its own up and down, and so it had teething problems to begin with maverick had another elect had an electric group set in the 90s as well yeah and you had a you had the the head unit up on the bars like we have uh your um garmin or or whatever computer today yeah and that was that was in that was in the 90s but people you know it, it has to go forward so i'm not against it i just i i just it's not 
part of things I do. You know, I just, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure it works works really well. But but you look at some, you know, some people love it and some people don't. You notice on Cancellero's bikes, he was he never went. He was always on manual. He never he never rode electric. And then, but things have to go on. It's the same as you look on the tour. Everybody's got disc brakes this year, but the winners of all three of the of the the three Grand Tours all won on rim brakes. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. It, you know, but things you know things move on. I, you know, it, it's it's got to move on. It, and I, you know, I'm quite happy that it does. It's just not my circle of stuff. I. I'm interested in really. Well, I suppose it's all part of a, of a journey and evolution, isn't it? And I think that you can still look back and appreciate the original Campag stuff. And I mean, some of the craftsmanship of, of stuff that I've seen up close, I don't think I quite appreciated just how much went into making group sets back back in the day. I think it's it's not only the you know the craftsmanship that went into it. In the same way, the craftsmanship's gone into the frames. Um, you know, there was a there's an element of everything was manufactured. You know, pretty much by hand with, with the earlier uh, group sets, of course, before they started mechanizing things I mean, after after the war, when you started getting industrialization, of course, then they could mass produce things. But it, it's, it's the element that they had a range like we do today in the modern group sets that, you know, even at that early point, you go from, you know, the, the very bottom end of range right through to record, super record, in Campagnolo, um, you know, they, they had a range of different group sets that you could choose. The other thing was that people would custom build the bike. Unlike today where you, you go in and you almost bike like a suit off the peg, it, it's pre-built. It comes with either this or the other, and that's your options. You might be able to get a different color frame in some instances, but not a lot. A lot of these bikes, you went in and you said, I have that frame with these wheels and this group set, and uh, I want a headset like this and some bars like that. And it was completely custom built. So it was very much a, um, a personal thing. Each bike, even though, you know, they might be a, a Bianchi or a Tomasini or, or whatever it might be. Everybody's bike was slightly different and the, 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 the range of the group sets meant that people could customise the build of their bike as they got it out of the shop. They didn't, you know, it wasn't a standard set of builds, basically. So that, that made a huge difference to it, I think, as well. Yeah, that's lovely. That's amazing. And, and in terms of the, the bikes that you both own, do you have a, a can you be sort of put on the spot to to give us one favorite i mean what are your favorite bikes and why uh, can, i'll go with this one can i give you a favorite oh, what three got, then I've, I've probably got two top favorites uh i have a um a cassini cassini precision built in about 1976 you, you see it on the website it's absolutely stunning bike the frame is really really stiff and it's very short um, if you've ever ridden a track bike and realize how twitchy a track bike is, if you're not used to riding one, this rides like that on the road. It, it's so short in the wheelbase, but it, it's responsive because of that, but it's stiff uh, at the same time. So you, get, you can get a lot of power through it, which is just great. Uh, and it, it's, it's a beautiful thing to ride and to look at. And the detail and craftsmanship on it and the way the frame was built is just fantastic. And uh, to Bob's point earlier, that's another one of those builders that's still there. As an independent, you can go to Verona, you can go to the shop. They're still making bikes today. Um, you can go and buy one now. And it, it, it is completely independent. It's not even part of a conglomerate like Conargo or Bianchi are at the moment. So that that's one. I guess the other one would be my, um, my Argentine uh, X4, Bianchi X4 Argentine from uh, the 80s. Just an amazing bike. 
It's so, so stiff, so powerful. It rides really quick. And it's only actually about three kilos heavier than my 2018 carbon bike which is not wow. bad for a 40-year-old bike. Yeah, that is amazing. That is amazing. And and how about you, Bob? Um, I, I kind of, I, I keep going. Or have you narrowed it down to your 25 favourite now? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, one, the, one I, the one I always get on is a, is a, 70, a 76 Bianchi Specialissima, which is exactly the same as, as Jumundi Road. And that is my whole thing about this is my, my bike is exactly the same as Jumondi one, the Giro one, 76. Exactly the same. Exactly the same equipment, same wheels, same saddle, the same thing. There isn't anything the same as Chris's Argentan. It's the, it's the same as Argentan's winning bike. That's why they named it. it, it there is another, another activity like this where you can have exactly what your hero you can put yourself in the shoes of, the, of your heroes. Yeah. You can't do yeah. that in any other sport. Yeah, I, I can't get a, an MV Augusta motorbike that, you know, that Agostini rode because the ludicrously amount of money, you know, Sterling Moss's Jaguar D-Type is 1,500,000 quid yeah, D-Type, you know, but I can ride a bike exactly the same, the Jumonti Road. I can ride a Colnago exactly the same as Merck's Road. You know, you, you can do this and it's not out of the realms of, of it's not, overly expensive to do that compared to anything else that you try and copy your your you can't put your shoe your, yourself in the shoes of your heroes in anything else really and it uh, and, and we go ride the same road as well right yeah you both you say you hit the same potholes it's exactly the same you know you, it's you, you can do that so my argentan i go to that you know that's the one really that that out of all the bikes i've got a i've got an ortelli which is uh which is pretty fancy which i i ride a lot but I, I, i'd go back to the the argentan and it with it's kind of when you when you you know I, I i go to this bike but also you go to what jumondi did or what copy did i've got i've got a bike from the same era as copy a bianchi from the you know from the 51 a Paris roubaix copy that's exactly the same as as copy one the Paris roubaix in 1950 which means they changed the name of the bike came out with because if he won it they changed the name into a Paris roubaix bike oh, i've got one i know chris i know chris has got one but you can't do it in anything else and it's and you get with with cycling you you pull back into history every time you watch the every commentator when you're watching the grand tour say you're watching this year the tour de france and you're and you hear david miller talking and doing a commentary He's he's talking about so they're going you know they're doing a certain stage he'll go back and say oh this is the stage copy did the hundred and twenty kilometer solo breakaway people are pulled back into those into the history of cycling all the time you watch it you you watch it you you look at the there are races between people at the moment and you 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 think about that and whenever they're talking about Cavendish and um, whoever he was you know whoever his rival was they they're also going on about. Oh, do you remember Copy and Bartali or Le Monde and Puglio or Pugliador or, you know, there are all these things you, you go back all the time because I think it's the same sport for over 100 years. It's, it's one, nostalgia, isn't it? Yeah, it, also it's the same job. It's one bloke pushing pedals on so one bike that's basically yeah. two triangles and two wheels. It yeah. hasn't changed. You can't see that in motor vehicles or, or any, any other sport. It's 
It's one bloke using his own power to push the pedals on one thing. It's exactly the same. It's been the same for 120 odd years. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to your point earlier, I mean, I think in terms of where the bikes are now, there's a lot of science and it's been amazing to see them continue to evolve, obviously, which is important. You want the sport to evolve as well. But in terms of the the old steel frames, do you feel that there was a there's a big deviation in terms of personality of, of the frame itself, given the individual bike builder? Do you really feel that there's, you can tell, you know, could you blind test a, a frame and could probably tell which 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 still still maker it was no i don't think no, no. it's according okay. to what his, what his day was like you know, yeah yeah well that's what i mean it's, it's so different right so it depends on you know what day it is or yes. you get like i suppose these bikes have personality a little more, more personality to them than probably the more modern carbon bikes yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't want to buy a you wouldn't buy a bike that's been built by the guy on monday morning after he's had a shocking weekend in 1962 and because it ain't going to be the same as this bike he built on the Friday afternoon. And no. I've bought bikes that I've gone, oh, I've always wanted by a particular builder, you know, like, oh, I've really got to have one. You know, he's going to be great. And I've bought it, found it, got on it, and the thing's appalling. And, he's, yeah. you, know, and you just don't know. You just, you just, yeah. They're, they're, so they're very, very individual, basically. Yes. Yeah. 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 And the more they're mass produced, the more they're, they're the same. And, and I think people need that, especially in the, you know, modern day racing, you, you get a puncture on one bike, you do not want to jump on something that feels totally different. You just, yeah. build, you just want to get on exactly the same thing again. The, yeah. the it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a different sport. It's, it's now, it, it, it has to be, everything has to be uniform. Otherwise you can't move from one bike to the other, you know, on that, on the Velta, those guys were jumping off and changing into a, a road, you know, doing a time trial bike, jumping off and putting on, getting on a, a road bike to climb the hill at the end of the time trial. Now that bike has, they have to know exactly what that bike's going to be like. You know, it's got to be their bike. They've got to have it set up for them and, and all, they'll all be set up the same for those riders. And that's and high stakes, high stakes now racing, racing. Yes, days. That's right. But, <laughs> that's right. So, so tell, us, tell us a little bit more about, about the club and, and some of the events that happen because there's, I feel there's a whole world of artisan bike enthusiasts that, that, uh, it's quite big, right? And it's quite evolved. And for someone like myself that doesn't know much about it, t- tell us a little bit more about the club itself and some of the stuff you do. Okay, so, yeah, we, as I alluded to earlier, there was um, Bob and I sort of met in, in a local pub, as most of these things often happen at the start. And um, we were looking at the, the, the volume of bikes that we, we have and that we know other people have got. And we thought we should really do something about cataloging it, for want of a better term. And um, we... Bob had already organised a, a series of rides that we did twice a year around the Surrey Hills where we'd, we'd all turn up and ride out to Box Hill, have a cup of coffee and then ride back again, basically. And there was a lot of people that, as you're riding along, shout, nice bike. And, you know, there was more and more interest in, in what we were riding uh, around on. So uh, we started thinking about what we could do to um, form a club and um, really it was more to get a record of all of the bikes that we'd got between he and I, but a, a, another friend of ours, Mark Antonio, but also some of the other people that we, we knew had got old bikes as well. And um, that's really where it stemmed from. But the, the key to it is that, it, although we call it a club, it is very loose in, in that terminology. We, we don't have a membership list. We don't uh, look for subscription. We don't you know, have any rules and regulations like you might get in a cycling club or a, a race team or anything like that. It, it purely is about people who like the artisan bike builders 
like riding those bikes importantly because we don't want to put them on a wall necessarily we, we like to get out and show them off clearly uh, and then uh, just you know talk about old bikes and build old bikes and just enjoy them appreciation club almost Pretty much. And, but i understand there's some crazy hard events though that, that people still do using original vintage bikes aren't there thing that started in the late 90s called the Eurorica and and it was it's it was a, a sporty before you had you know we we go out we'd have the old you know we'd have these bikes we'd have a you know, we'd wander around with them and I'd go to different events with Mark Antonio in the early 2000s. But in 1998, a, a sportif was started up in Tuscany called the Eurorica and it was 100, 100 riders. And they were riding pre-1986 bicycles. That's the cutoff year because that's when indexed gearing came into play. And so everything has to be friction geared and that's before clipless pedals. And so... That was the cutoff, and it started then. And by I think the first one Mark and I went to was two thousand and seven, and I think there was fifteen hundred riders there. And it's a it's a it was a it's a sportif, and it's it's a hard ride. That you know the the longest route is two hundred kilometers, and it's it's got twelve thousand feet of climbing in it. Half of it, half the two hundred kilometers, is on the white roads of Tuscany. This isn't wow. kind of a poodle around, and yeah. I think the smallest, the, the the shortest route was, I think, seventy five kilometers. I think it went what, 75, 125 and two hundred. Well, that's that's gone on every year since then. And since about two thousand and fourteen, fifteen, they started franchising it. So there are Eroica type events all over the world now. Last Amazing. year, last year when we went to the Eroica in Italy, in Tuscany, there were seven thousand riders. Seven thousand. Seven thousand. Yes, from all over the world. Yes, yes, from all from all over the world, and riding uh, sort of vintage bikes. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. There are some amazing bikes on show there. Yeah, it's, it takes over the whole village for a week. You know this, and that event is now the Aurora has been franchised. It's on. There's Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Argentina, Uruguay, America, France, Germany, Spain. These are all Eroica events. And this all started from the 1998, 1999 Eroica. And I think there are more and more of these kind of events all over Europe. I think 2019, there must have been what, Chris? A hundred events in Europe we had. Oh, on the- yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah. season, hundred events. You could go out most weekends and do that. So that's what kind of started us doing our own events here and inviting people. The our Surrey Hills ride is, it's like even though it's old bikes, it's forty five fifty miles and five five thousand feet of climbing. Yeah. And so these these aren't, you know, they're not kind of we're not. We want to use the bikes and have them as they're supposed to be used. You know, it's 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 nice to poodle down the shops with them. But these sportives that have started up are really good, and you can go all around Europe. We do a, we go to a thing every year, which is from Coppi's Memorial, his training ride from his village in Castellania, and they get three hundred riders. We took last year. We took twenty two riders out there from from our club here. Wow, that's and incredible. And, and in terms of, I'm going to ask a really stupid question now. What, what are you actually wearing on the bike? Do you, do you wear original kit as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Because it, it kind of looks a bit weird if you're on a 50-year-old bike and you're wearing Lycra with Sky written on it. So it, 
you ride all our jerseys. All our jerseys are, are made traditionally on looms in Florence in Italy. Are they really? And what about shoes? Because I've seen photos of people doing the event and they're still wearing the original like brown leather shoes, right? Yeah, they, t- they are wearing leather cycling shoes the same because you're using toe clips and pedals. You can't, you know, you can't get your, your clipless pedals, your, your shoes in toe clips and pedals. It's a, it's a nightmare. So you, people still supply. There are shop. There are different manufacturers starting up. One of the guys in our club, called Tim Slack's got his own cycling shoe factory up in Northampton. And he does, you know, he does fashion shoes as well. But yeah, as he's a cyclist, he runs a line of uh, traditional leather shoes as well. Excellent. We'll have to get his website as well in the show notes. So if anyone's interested, they can uh, visit them and and check them out. Yeah. So, but yeah, you you wear the same, the same, the same kit, really. The one thing that I, you know, I wear, which I'm sure most of our guys do wear is, you know, I still wear Assos bib shorts. The idea of the woolen short is still can be a bit difficult if it's 110 degrees in Italy. One step too far, I suppose. <laughs> and, and in terms of helmets, do you re- wear the original helmets or do you wear more modern helmets? A lot of the sportives you have to for their for their um, insurance, you have to wear modern helmets. You, yeah, you, that they, they can't get insurance for their riders unless you're wearing a modern helmet. And and that's just something you have to you, know, you have to live. You know, that's that's what you have to live with in these things and. Yeah. Uh, there are some benefits of things evolving i suppose i suppose a, a modern helmet is probably a good thing yeah a lot of the guys on some of the events wear the old hairnet chanelli hairnet um helmets which um give you a little bit of protection i suppose but yeah but you yeah you look back that's the one thing when you look back at old race yeah old races and you see only 20 years ago no one's wearing any helmets you're like even that long ago, was it? Late, 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 late 90s or 2000 yeah. it came in. Yeah, yeah, wasn't then it? It, then it, yeah, that's when it had to be done. But on most sportives that we go to, you have to. Yeah, you have to wear a helmet. Otherwise, you don't. Yeah, the, the the event can't get insured. Yeah, and I'm sure within the community, I, I, t- I take it original uh, cycling caps as well must be quite a, a collectible item as well. Yeah, yeah, we've got you know the club's got around. We've got around caps and stuff that people wear under their helmet. But you know, um, yeah, we've got caps, arm warmers, all you know, you know gloves, all the you know all the same things that that you have. But ours, are, you know, you know our, our jerseys are made of wool. That's all. But I mean, in terms of the the original caps, do people collect those as well from 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 yesterday? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cap, market for that. you know, they're all collectible items. You know, people. To Bob's point earlier about harking back to you know remembering and and your your heroes of the time. You know, people will look for you know the Coca Cola bottle, for example, you know, the bead on, and, and trying to find that or a, a cap that for a particular team that uh, they they've got all the other kit for. So it's a big thing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And in terms of, it was obviously by the numbers you've mentioned there in terms of the event, it's a movement that's really, really growing, not only here in the UK, but but globally. What what do you think is driving that? Do you think it's, you know, people like yourself, Bob, who, who, who left the sport for sort of 25, 30 years and come back and then sort of harping back to watching the tour when they were younger and that kind of nostalgia? Or what, what do you think is driving it? And is, is there a sort of a younger community coming up through it as well? I, th- I think so. We've got we've got people in their twenties to their six to their seventies in our club, and I th- really yeah. And I I th- I think they still you know as I was saying earlier, when you're looking at the tours, people are going on about what it used to be. They flash up pictures of copy during during the Tour de France, and they they show this stuff. You know when when the close end to the, the tour year this year, they were showing Le Mans and you yeah. know, his, his nine second win and all this, and so people are heart they. they they look back at this stuff, and it's it's 
it's quite easy to be able to, even if you're you know, a modern cyclist, now most of our guys in the club have also got modern bikes. I'm not, you know, there aren't the majority of our people in the club ride, you know, they're, they're cyclists, they ride modern bikes, but but they've also got an old bike in the in the in the garage. There's a there's that story about Aston Martin, isn't there? That the DB7 sold more Aston Martins than the history of Aston Martin. So all those guys that had DB7 started looking back and going, "Blimey, that DB4 looks good," and yeah. it re- takes you back to. And then the prices of DB3s, DB4s, DB5s, DB. Those old traditional Aston Martins all started going up in price, and people started wanting them. That's because more people were were in into into the the DB7, and because of how. And it's the same now with Bianchi. You know, Bianchi. You 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 see those guys still riding Bianchis today. You still see guys riding Colnagos today in the Grand Tours. So those guys, you're sitting at you know you're you're out on the new Pinarella Dogma, which cost you God knows what, and you know that that. There are Delgado's Pinarello. You can pick up one exactly the same as Delgado's win from 86. You can pick one of them up, 1,500 quid. You're in your dogma and you're, you look back at because the history of a lot of those kind of site, those, those brands, Colnago, Bianchi, Pinarello, you look at the, you know, you, you, you look at the Giro this year, there's those, those bikes they were riding. They were riding Batechias. There were Batechia bikes, Cinelli bikes, Villiers. All these all these bright brands that initially they're still going, and you have one of them. You look back at where they started, and you, yeah. your Pinarello rider would, would love a nineteen seventies Pinarello, and I don't blame him. So those those guys, a lot of those guys are in our, are, are in the club as well because they, you know, they go out on the weekends, they do races, they do sportifs, they do stuff on modern bikes. But when they come out at our events, they they you know, they dig out their nineteen sixty five Bianchi. And come yeah. to Italy. Yeah, I find it, and that's what I find super fascinating. It's it's uh, it's like a separate movement, isn't it? It's a real, I suppose, community. And and if there's people sort of loving it all around the world, it's kind of it's like that that sort of knowing nod. You must see people with other sort of steel bikes, and you sort of look across the traffic lights, and you have that knowing nod to each other that you know, and 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 most other cyclists don't, kind of thing. <laughs> that's it, but it is, but it is weird that you know, as I said, a lot of you know, quite a few of our guys do do race modern bikes as well. It's the same. It's it's like when you you know you have a second car at home and it's a fifties MG, and at the weekends you go out on you know with your MG Roadster. But you're actually yeah. going to work in a Lexus. And, yeah, 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 exactly that. A lot, a lot of our chaps do the same. So we're not, you know, we're not standalone. You know, we won't. You know, our guys won't do anything else. We'll only ride these old bikes. It, it's not like that. We ride them because we like riding them, and we can ride them as we used to, and we can, you know, ride them as our heroes rode them. That, that's, that's it. And, and it, you know, yeah. we're not I enjoy them. Yeah, and enjoy, and we're not stand. You know, it's not a standalone thing. You know, we're not going to. Yeah. And, and and tell me this, just in in terms of for anyone that's listening that that's obviously always sort of lovingly looked at sort of traditional bikes, but never really known where to start. If someone's a, a keen cyclist and, and and wants to sort of source a, a steel bike, where, where should some you know where can someone find a bike, or how can someone get into the or your club? Obviously, we'll put your details into the into the show notes. But how can someone find out more about the events and and find a bike and stuff like that? They're all pretty much. A, a, it's 
you know, there, you know, there's traditional ways, obviously, going to, you know, those small ads or going to eBay or whatever thing. But to to want to get into it, you 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 probably got some kind of inkling. You're not going to go into this, you know, you're not going to buy an old car just because you like the look of, you know, you, most of the people that are into it have got, you know, can go online, can see the history, can, you know, can see what other guys ride and stuff. It, and how they used to be on, you know, on our website, for instance, most, there's probably 300 bikes on it, all pre-86. You can look at any of those bikes. There'll be the history of the make. There'll be a, a list of equipment of every bike, when it was made, who made it, what's on it. So you can look at that and think, oh, that, you know, that looks all right. I wouldn't mind one of, you know, something like that. And you, you can, you, there isn't a lot of information out there on the internet about, about this kind of stuff. So, with a little bit of research, you you yeah you can you can find your way into this. There's it's yeah it's 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 accessible. Yeah, and I appreciate the accessibility, but but given the fact that you know there's not a booming mountain bike scene, and and, and uh, I'm I'm not able to go and snap up a hundred and a hundred uh, steel frames of friends that, that don't want them anymore. Where 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 now do people sort of buy these bikes? You mentioned eBay. Is it eBay and stuff like that? Is where people source them from? There's also a lot of dealers. There's, um, there's oh, there. That's what I meant. Yeah, the dealers as well. Yeah. yeah. What's the one in Berlin, Chris? Is that still vintage cycles? There's still vintage cycles. You've got Sickly Berlinetta in Berlin, and then plenty of others around Europe. There's a few guys in um, in the UK as well that specialize well not specialize but also sell classic bikes uh, as well as modern bikes so you know there, there's plenty to choose from that, that you can you can go and go and look at them you don't have to sort of just do it all online and, and take a punt yeah you know it, it, they're, they're out there and it, it's becoming bigger and bigger indeed the um i forget the name of the company but there's a, a a guy in the u.s who started up selling nothing but classic bikes much like still vintage in germany and uh, they're, they're going to launch next year into europe Europe in a big way uh, oh, and it's wow. going to be they reckon they're the biggest international classic bike retailer in the world that will make them so Amazing. You know, it, it is a big market yeah absolutely yeah i'll do some digging and if i can find them i'll put their their details in the show notes as well now i've got to ask you both a question is i know you both got many many bikes but has there been one bike that's eluded you both that you would absolutely love to get your hands on Yes. Yeah, I've got one. Um, is uh, a Bianchi Centenario. It's one that I've always wanted. They only ever made about fifteen hundred of them. Um, oh wow! Okay. I've got about half a dozen or so Bianchis as it is anyway, uh, including some very rare ones. But that one has eluded me. It's the hundredth anniversary bike, wasn't it, Chris? Um, it, yeah, yeah. I've got a one twenty. I've got a Pantani EV two. I've got all sorts. It's got special listeners, but that one, that one's avoided me. That's the one. And so you'll continue the hunt for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mine's, mine's been the search for a, a, a bike by a, a builder called Pinzani in Florence, who's no longer, you know, he's, he's no longer around. And he built Bartali's first bikes and he bought, uh, he built Nencini's bike when he, when he won in, I think, was it 59? He won the Giro, Nencini. He, yeah. he was riding for Bianchi. And he won, but at the cel- at the big celebration when he came from Florence, and the big celebration, he announced to everybody that he wasn't actually riding a Bianchi. It was painted as a Bianchi, but it was a Pinzani. And ah. he introduced, I think, Giuseppe Pinzani up on stage. 
he gave Pinzani his yellow, jer- his pink jersey. Wow! Which hung, which hung in Pinzani's shop until the big Florent, the flood of uh, Florence in the sixty four, sixty five, when he lost the, you know, Pinzani lost the shop and the and the jersey. But yeah. I've, yeah, I haven't found a, I found a couple of Pinzanis, but not one in my size. And if you go to the Bartali Museum in Florence, there's uh, Bartali's first bikes, and they were built by Pinzani, and yeah. That's that's eluded me. You'll get there, I'm sure. What fascinating stories. That's been absolutely amazing. Look, guys, I know I've taken loads of your time and I want to thank you both very much for for giving us an amazing insight into the world of artisan and vintage bikes. Is there anything that I've missed or anything that you wanted to bring up before we wrap things up? Um, no, not not really. The, you know, you can get everybody to look at the, you know, have a look at the website and 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 just hope everybody, you know, can get involved really. It's um that that's that's it really. It's you know it's a it's a kind of a pastime really. Think of it as the as the MG owners club on two wheels really. <laughs> passion. It's a passion. That's what I love about it. I think it's you know it's an absolute passion, which is brilliant. Yeah, I do do go check out the website. Some of the 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 brands and the bikes on there are absolutely magnificent. And if, if there are people in the local vicinity, can they get in touch and and get involved in some of your group rides? Absolutely, yeah. There's a there's a contact sheet on the website that'll come through to us, and you know we're we're pretty good at replying. Um, you know, as you say, it is it is a hobby and everything. But it's not a business, but uh, we do reply. And as as we're in sort of West London, so we ride you know, fairly regularly. The weather's a bit iffy now, of course, but um, when it starts to warm up again, we'll be out most weekends, and then we do our regular rides. Plus, hopefully next year more events will be back on and you'll be able to see the event calendar on the website as well which we'll update as soon as we start getting the details of what events are on across europe and uh, the rest of the world yeah definitely fingers crossed for events and if there's anyone listening further afield and you're into artisan and vintage bikes i suppose it'd be great to connect right so to do get in, in contact with bob and chris they'll i'm sure they'd love to connect and expand the network even further and maybe catch up at some events next year talking to you thanks very much Brilliant. excellent bob chris thank you so much I hope you get out on the bike and the weather stays good over the next few weeks and uh, we'll, we'll catch up in due course, I'm sure. Bye now. Thanks a lot, George. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub. We'll see you on there.